That's going to be a good day. Let's pray. Lord God, we do come to behold you. I pray, God, that we would um, behold you through your word. God, that you would teach us this morning. You would open our, our, our hearts and our eyes to understand your word. That for believers in here, Lord, may you take this um, passage and um, put it deep into our hearts. Help, it, help us to control um, our behavior to the power of your spirit. And may it be a characteristic of our church on how we handle sin, Lord. Uh, we need your help this morning. We all come in with baggage and struggles, depressions and discouragements and broken hearts and anger and frustrations. And God, we are, we are not you. And uh, Lord, we need you. We need help. Uh, this is a difficult world to walk in. As you well know, uh, you can sympathize with us, Lord. And I pray, God, that you would draw near to our hearts, that you would encourage us with your word, confront us with your word, challenge us with it, and may you change us, Lord, to look more and more like Christ. Don't pass us by. Come and move among us. It's your name we pray. Amen. Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1. Normally, uh, what we would do is we would already be into the State of the Church Address by now. Um, and uh, we're not ready to do the State of the Church Address because we still have a lot of things happening, uh, a lot of things going on uh, that we just don't have direction yet from the Lord on. And so uh, for those of you who are new to our church, every year we have a State of the Church Address. That's not because we're trying to be political, but rather it's because we want to always give an update of where, where we are as a church. What have we done well? What have we not done well? Um, one of the neatest things that's happening this morning, uh, at least I'm excited about it and the other elders are excited about it, is um, Sovereign Life Fellowship and people involved in Sovereign Life Fellowship will, will be covering five pulpits today across uh, the town. Um, that may not mean much to you, but if you heard three years ago, we would not have been able to have church if five people were out. <laughs> so um, I'm, I'm going to be covering this. Uh, our very own Joey Sutton will be preaching at New Life Service in just a little bit. Um, Ralph is uh, doing his Gideon work in, I, I believe, Palestine. I believe that right, Linda. Um, we have Lucas uh, is at Forest Hill Baptist uh, preaching. And Wayne is in Gilmer preaching. <laughs> and so uh, what a blessing uh, that the Lord would um, give us those opportunities. And you be praying even now as all those guys, uh, uh, Joey's not there, but as others are getting ready and preparing and many are already preaching, uh, that the Lord would be honored by what would come uh, out of their mouths and that it would match the scripture and the scripture alone. So that's exciting. Uh, we have some people out today, uh, clearly. And so... Um, we're excited that God's doing things outside of our walls uh, through our church. And so if that doesn't excite you, well, you probably don't know Jesus. So there you go. Move right along. <laughs> Was that too strong? I'm sorry. So Galatians chapter 6, your sermon guide has 1 through 5. We're actually only, only going to do verse 1. Uh, I anticipated doing through 5. 
Uh, and last night, I ended with eight pages of notes before I got done with verse 1. And so I felt the elders who weren't even there telling me to not preach all five verses. And so we're only going to do verse 1. Um, but Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. I can tell you uh, about 10 years ago, um, I met a group of friends uh, for lunch at a restaurant that shall remain nameless, although they do serve uh, uh, wings. Um, and I ate those wings with two of my close friends. And uh, by the time uh, that afternoon got there, I did not feel well. By the time that evening got there, I did not feel well at all. Uh, and before long, I was uh, um, puking my guts up. Is that too strong of a word? Uh, and that went on for a long time. Um, uh, and eventually, uh, I was sick for about three months. Uh, ended up going to the doctor and having a lot of work done and ended up getting a very bad case of food poisoning, of which the doctor said, hey, you had this 100 years ago, you would have died. And I was like, oh, well, that's comforting. Um, and I remember as I was frustrated about getting as sick as I was, in fact, uh, I was telling uh, one of my boys last night about this event, um, that I at one point told the Lord, like, if this is it, I didn't know what was wrong. I was like, could you just hurry it up <laughs> because I want this to be over with. And um, it was miserable. A few weeks later, I found out in the Longview News Journal uh, that that restaurant had failed their health inspection report because of undercooked chicken. I wanted to call a lawyer, amen, <laughs> but I didn't. Um, and I uh, remember thinking to myself, well, they should be shut down, you know? And I was angry, and, and most of us in here... If you go into a restaurant and up front they have an F on their health inspection report, most how many of you go, oh, there shouldn't be a crowd? And you go ahead, no. You, you would skip. I mean, would you not? You wouldn't be excited about that. Uh, others of us uh, maybe would be, but I would not be. Uh, and so we all like the idea of health inspectors. Like, like we like the idea that somebody is making sure that the chicken that they're cooking. Uh, I worked in the restaurant business for a while and employed a lot of teenagers, and I remember one teenager grilling chicken at this restaurant I was at, and I said, hey, are you checking that temperature to make sure it's all right? And he said, no, just looks good to me, so I'm throwing it in there. And I was like, oh. <laughs> and we're glad that there are inspectors and there are standards by which food is going to be cooked. But if you own a restaurant, you're not as excited about the health inspector. Because they can come in and cause all kinds of problems. They can come in and nitpick on little bitty things and can cause you issues. And so we all have different takes based on how we run the restaurant. Well, Galatians 6, chapter 1, or whether or not we own it or eat it, Galatians chapter 6, 1 is going to deal with sin within the body. And how many of us like to point out other people's sin? Go ahead and shake your head. You do. How many of you like it when people point out sin in our own lives? We do not. And so, um, I am going to attempt to preach just one single verse, uh, reference this idea that I think um, for quite some time uh, has not been done well uh, in the church. Um, I do enjoy it when people tell me they don't go to church uh, because it's full of judgmental uh, and hypocritical people. Um, I get a kick out of that, only in the sense that one, it is true, but it is, it's almost like, a, I mean, I've asked them before, um, is, is outside the church non-judgmental and not hypocritical? <laughs> Confused. Um, but yet the church should be different. Uh, we are supposed to be different than the world. 
and as a family, um, we are family, brothers and sisters. And if you've ever taken a trip, a long trip with a bunch of kids, um, you know that it doesn't take very long down the road before problems begin to happen. And I've always said as a motto as a church we should have, join Sovereign Life Fellowship. We are guaranteed to hurt you at least once because we're people and we fail each other. But what do we do when those failures happen? What do we do when sin happens? Because somehow the church and how we handle this needs to not be opposite of what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11. 28 through 30, Jesus said this, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is, and my burden is. And I want to make sure that as we grow as a church, that how we handle sin in our lives as a family is done in such a way that we're not opposite of what Jesus said. That this is a place where you as a fellow believer who walk with other believers can still find a place of rest. This is important because far too often in the churches, in our attempt to address sin within our body, people don't feel rested with it. They feel like that the list gets longer and longer and longer. And that's not how I want our church to be. I don't think, they, I don't think that's how Scripture wants us to be. So um, I believe when you deal with this idea of community-driven fellowship and our body working together and living together and doing life together, um, that we are going to clearly uh, notice things about one another. And I think the Holy Spirit inspires Paul to answer how we handle sin in just uh, one verse. I think there's lots of verses, but in this one particular verse, Galatians 6, 1. And let's read it. Galatians 6, 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. First, I want you to understand that the entire Bible and all of the New Testament in reference to the churches makes an assumption reference verses like this, and that is that we are clearly doing life together. There is a community of people who are doing things together. Otherwise, it would be very difficult uh, to know something about someone to understand they have a transgression outside of the big ones. We all know of big transgressions, but by and large, many of us have hundreds of smaller ones, do we not? And the only way we will find those is when we do life with one another on a daily basis outside of Sunday and outside of Wednesday. So it's clear here, I believe, that that is the assumption being made. So brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression. So first he's addressing believers. If anyone is caught, you could also, depending on your translation, you may have the word overtaken or maybe surprised by. The New English translation uses the word discovered think you can understand that this speaks to sin's subtleness, how it can creep up on us and grab us sometimes before we even know it. How many of you have been walking through life and suddenly, almost without warning, you find yourself in sin and you ask yourself, how did I even get here? Because sin 
is subtle, and it can sneak up us on us. So here he says, maybe sin has overtaken you. Maybe you've been surprised by sin. And sometimes, I think I can attest to this in my own life, we are actually in sin, and yet our old nature is so strong in our lives that we don't even know it. We don't even know that we're not walking by the Spirit until someone else points it out. And hopefully they point it out. Um, several years ago, I was having lunch with a friend, another pastor. Uh, we were talking about uh, life, and I recounted a story about trying to help my wife um, park at a baseball game. I know she's in here. I'm well aware of that. <laughs> she cannot park the Suburban. Uh, we were late for the game. You know where this is going, right? <laughs> and then so I finally said, just get out of the car. I got her out of the car. I was like, for the love, and I just parked it, you know? And so I'm recounting this story to my pastor friend. I mean, he's my friend. He's my friend. You know, I'm telling him the difficulty I had with my wife. And he's supposed to say things like, I know women can't drive. Amen? That's what I'm hoping for. Some of you men are not laughing because you're sitting by your wife. <clears throat> but I, I see your agreement. So I lay this out and I, and I tell him all of this. And he somewhat chuckles, and then he asked, you, he asked me this question. He said, if that would have been my wife, and you were helping her park, how would you have treated her? And I was like, dude, I thought we were getting together for lunch. <laughs> and he said, it's interesting to me that you would treat my wife differently than you would treat the one that you have been called to love as Christ loves the church. Woo! Hopefully... You have friends like that. Hopefully, the idea of this flock, of this gathering of the sheep, of this body of believers, we find people who speak into our lives in such a way. And so Paul says, brothers, if any is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. It's interesting that Paul is speaking to believers, and then he adds this, those of you who are spiritual should do the restoring. It's interesting to me, because you would think believers would be spiritual. How many of y'all have grown up in the church? You know that's not always the case, right? Believers are not always spiritual. So what does spiritual mean here? It clearly can't mean sinless. That would never happen. But I think if we go back to our elder reading in Galatians chapter 5, in verse 16, we would find this. After explaining what the flesh is like, he says, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So here is a commandment to believers. Believers, those of you who claim Christ and have been redeemed, here is a calling in your life, and that calling is you must walk by the Spirit. We all know of our old passions, as Paul says in Ephesians. Do you not feel them come upon you all the time? Our old tendencies to go back to our old way of doing things, to gratify our own flesh. And so Paul says in Galatians 5, don't walk according to the flesh, walk according to to the Spirit. And so believers, if any of you are caught in transgressions, 
Those of you who are spiritual, and in verse 22 that would be defined of chapter 5, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I just, I got a sneaky suspicion that most of us in our experiences in the church when it came to calling out sin was not done by people who were spiritual. Did you just hear what the spiritual is? Repeat it. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And I know what some of you are thinking, but sin must be dealt with. Absolutely. And so we need to deal with it. We, need to get, we gotta call it out. We gotta say what it is and deal with it right now. Everyone sin but yours, right? When it comes to your sin, you know how you want people to respond? Love, joy, patience. Isn't that amazing? So those of you who are spiritual, and then it goes on. Against such things there is no long. And those who belong to Christ, listen, if, if you enjoy restoring people, and listen, it should all be something we are a part of. Some of you restore all the time, and you need to learn how to do it better. Some of you have never restored. Some of you have never confronted. You've never been the person at the table who called out somebody's sin. And guess what? You should be. You should be, at least according to Galatians chapter 6. But it says, for those of you who are spiritual, that's what it means, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited. Are you hearing how sin gets called out now? Let us not be people who are conceited, provoking one another. How many of you have ever been in an argument with your spouse? And while they're arguing with you, you're only thinking about what you're going to say. <laughs> and then they say, you haven't even been listening to me. You go, I've been listening to you. And then you repeat like the last four words they said. You weren't listening. You know what you're doing? You're conceited. You're arrogant. You're not kind. You're not full of love. You're not full of joy. What you're doing is getting ready to provoke the other. And then it says envying one another. So those who claim Christ and are by the power of the Holy Spirit walking according to the Spirit, redeemed people, not perfect, but by God's grace are being changed day by day by the Holy Spirit, then those spiritual people have an obligation to their brother and sisters who are found to be in sin. We have an obligation to point it out. Now, Doing that requires some navigating, does it not? Because if you just run right through that, it's a minefield. How many of y'all have ever had someone run right through it in your own life? So let's talk about how we do this. Because we're still small as a church. I'm hoping if the Lord grows us, some of you can make sure other ones do it the right way. Amen? Number one, before you... Help restore somebody else because of their sin. Be aware of your own tendencies to follow your flesh. 
meaning be aware of your own sin. Be aware of your own flaws and failures. Not so that you do not point their sin out, but so that you can confess your own and be ready to help them. Matthew 7 should come to mind. One of the most misquoted verses behind Jeremiah 29, 11. Verse 1, judge not that you not be judged. See? See? Don't tell me I'm sinning. You're not, you're not allowed to judge me. Don't judge me, lest thee be judged. Let's finish, finish the rest of the verses. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in uh, Listen, no one ever reads the rest of the verses. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye? We're good at that, right? Are we, good? we are good at that. But do not notice the log that is in your own eye. Years ago, there was a, a Jesus film, and they're all cheesy. Most of our, I mean, they're all terrible for the most part. All Christian films are pretty much awful. Did I say that out loud? In reference to how they handle Jesus' life, they're, they're just cheesy. Are they not a little cheesy? It's like they got the cheapest actor who's never acted. But I remember this one that was made like the, or maybe the late 70s. And Jesus is, is actually doing this scene. And, and somehow he picks up this huge beam off the ground. And me and Sean, a good friend of mine, were like, where did the beam come from? But it was on the ground. But he picked up this huge two-by-four and he put it up against his head. I've never forgot that illustration. Here's what it says. We are quick to notice the speck in someone else's eye and ignore the beam in our own eye. Then Jesus says this. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? Now listen to what Jesus says. It doesn't stop there. It says, you hypocrite... First, take the log out of your own eye. And then you will be able to see clearly to do what? To take the speck out of your brother's eye. This is not about not holding each other accountable to godliness. It's about first making sure you don't hit them upside the head with your own log. Amen? So when you see your brother or sister in sin, and the Lord moves you, or you feel out of obligation to the scripture that you should confront, it's a good time to do a self-check. It's a good time to do a self-check. No one is perfect. No one is sin-free. But this is about correcting clear sin in your own life so you can help your brothers and sisters. To ignore your own sin while attempting to remove something from someone else's eye. If you have a log that's blocking your vision, I don't want you operating on my eye. Amen? And if you've grown up in the church, have you not been damaged by this stuff? We've had plenty of this. Number two, the goal is to restore it is not for you to be proven right. There is gentleness and love and kindness 
where you examine your own heart and say, Lord, am I honoring you with my life? Never perfection. You'll never get perfect. Not here. One day. <laughs> but you examine your own life, and then you move to your brother, your sister says, I see this. I see this in your life, and, and I think it's there. I'm not, I'm not exactly sure what it is, but, but I feel like this should be different. And, and I'm not here so I can be right. I'm not here so you can think I'm smart. I'm here because I'm afraid of where this is going to take you. Let me help you. It's to restore them. The word has in mind setting a broken bone. It's a Greek word there. It also is used in the gospel. You see it used a little bit differently in Matthew 4. Uh, the apostle James and John are mending their fishing nets when they're bolt. It's the same Greek word, meaning that you're fixing what is broken so that it can be used again for its purpose. If you have a net who has a big hole in it, I'm not a great fisherman. I know there's some from New Life here. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Fish will swim out the hole. So if you, if you mend the net, if you correct the net, it takes time, effort, and patience. But when you restore it, it can be used again for its intended purpose. So if you're putting something back together again, and you are restoring it, what are you restoring them to? I think it's clear from Galatians chapter 5 that we're not restoring them to the fellowship of the church. This is not about someone who has been kicked out of the church, although I believe clearly that church discipline is meant for restoration. But here, that didn't happen yet. So what are we restoring them to? I believe it's to a path of holiness. To be restored and to be placed back on the path of holiness, to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. Or as Paul would say in Galatians 5, to move back to walking by the Spirit and not by the flesh, to not satisfy our own desires. This is one of our pillars, and we call it grace-centered discipleship. We offer grace to those who struggle not so they can stay in their sin, but rather so they can overcome their sin. That's why we extend grace, to move them to holiness. Now, churches tend to err on how to handle sin in the church in two ways. One is to never address it and just say, well, we all sin, we all mess up, and we're, we're just, we just want to be about grace here. That is fertilizer for sin, if that's your idea. Grace does not exist to excuse your sin. It exists to overcome your sin. Or the second way that we do it, and this is most common if you grew up in a Baptist church in East Texas, is to address it in the wrong way, with no grace, no mercy, no love, no kindness, no joy, and no patience, and no gentleness. So one is to just say, well, that's sin. We're not going to address it. By the way, that happens all the time in churches. Let me, give you that. Let me help you out understand something. Secret sin almost is always a bad idea. That's why you need a plurality of elders. 
Because if I run off in the sin, the elders are not going to excuse that. I only have like one here today, I think, right? Or is there two? How many do I have here? I got two here. I'm trying to remember. I got no amen, so maybe I get to run off into sin. I don't know. But we don't. We, we have to address it, but we address it in the right way. And so third, how do we see how we handle this restoration? Well, we see it carefully, with gentleness and humility. And this is what the church does wrong time and time again. Now listen. You may not be tempted to sin with drugs. That may not be what catches you. And I've heard more than once in my life from believers who should be walking by the Spirit. I don't understand why those people, those people, struggle with those things. Out of the mouth of the people who are the biggest gossipers in the church. It may not be your struggle, but there are people who struggle with things different than you. You may be tempted with anger or with greed, and the list could go on and on and on. And we just can't understand why those people can't overcome their sin while we continue in our own. And if you are that person, you are not spiritual enough to restore others. Until you approach this with humility, until you understand your own failures and your own ways that sin has tripped you up and destroyed your life, until you recognize that without Christ, you too would be separated. That there is nothing special about you. When you get to that place, then you're able to help others with their own sin. After handling your own sin and being saturated with an understanding of how people fall into sin no differently than we do, and how they sometimes struggle to overcome it, then we who are spiritual, with great patience and grace, work with them to overcome their sin. Now, here's the caveat in verse 1. I want to spend like three weeks on this, but we don't have time to do that. But here's the caveat. I love the last part. Keep watch on your, over yourself, lest you too be tempted. <laughs> so here's the process. Brothers, if any of you are caught in transgression... But if, you, if any of you get into sin, whether it be intentionally, surprisingly, it just snuck up on you and grabbed you, whoever you are, if, if that's you, those of you who are spiritual should do the restoration. Those of you who are walking by the Spirit, those of you who can, who can do that with joy and gentleness and love and patience, those of you who are spiritual, you can go and do that. But listen, listen, be very careful. Watch your own life because you too could be tempted. How often we complain about certain sins in other people's lives only to find our own selves wrapped up in those same sins sometime later. May we be reminded that our flesh is indeed weak and that it hates our new heart and that Satan 
roams around seeking those who he can devour. You know what Peter said there in that chapter? Be on guard. Be watchful. In fact, I would say it this way. I would think most of us should be more aware of our own sinful tendencies than those around us. If we watch our own sin more carefully, that would help us a whole lot in our attempt to help others. Now, some of you might be saying right now, well, I struggle with gentleness and patience. That's me. And I would want to remind you and myself that those of us who have believed the gospel, who have been regenerated by the Holy Spirit, understand that the Holy Spirit resides in you and the fruit of the Holy Spirit is gentleness and patience. So, Galatians 5.22, just to refresh your memory, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So in your attempt to help others with their own sin in their own life, if you struggle to do it the right way, understand, you say, well, I'm just not patient. I, just don't have any, I, just don't, I can't be gentle with those kind of things. I don't have patience for that. You need to understand that you have patience. You have access to gentleness. You are simply choosing not to use it. God help us. May our church as the Lord would add to our numbers. Be a place where people who have been beat up by the world and beat up by churches come to a place that does not excuse their sin, but they find rest and a group of believers who are patient and gentle and kind. You may be further down the road with your walk with Christ than they are. But brothers and sisters, we are on the same road. Let's don't leave anyone behind. Let's walk with them. Point their sin out after we take out the log in our own eye. Now, when we say things like those who have believed the gospel, you may be asking, well, what is the gospel? You're happy now, right? <laughs> I'm glad you asked. This is the gospel. That you were born into sin. That's why you do the things that you do. No one has to teach you how to sin. And without Christ, we sin regularly and really, really well. And that sin separated us from a holy, holy, holy God. Who, although we were objects of his wrath, yet he still loved us. While we were sinning, while we were actually in rebellion to that God, he loved us. And he loved us so much that he sent his son Christ to live the life that we could never live. And he took our punishment that we richly deserved on the cross. And for those 
who would repent and believe and put their faith in Christ, we could be reconciled to the Father. And you say, well, how does that happen? It happens because Christ takes our sin and we get his righteousness. Here's the beauty of the gospel. When you are a believer, God doesn't see your sin. He sees Christ. Really? <laughs> How many of you feel beat up because of, you, of the way you think God views you? Do you understand the scriptures at all? The gospel is this, that in Christ, I'm made holy. I'm righteous. I've entered into his courts, bathed in the mercy and grace provided by Christ's sacrifice. That's why we are moved by the Spirit to walk by the Spirit and not by our flesh. Not because we're trying to get God to love us, but because he already loves us. That's the good news of the gospel. People say, well, how do I, what do you mean by repent? Repent means to say, I am going the wrong way. This is not how I want to live my life. I want to get rid of this out of my life. I want to get out of these sins. I want to walk away from this life. I want to pursue Christ. And so I repent of my way. And how do I believe? Jesus, you are who you say you are. And my life is yours. And I pursue you the rest of my days. People say, well, how will I become a believer? Don't you have to say a certain kind of prayer? And I would say, no. Scripture says repent and believe. Repent and believe. Grace-centered discipleship. May our church never be a place that sin is excused or sin is put up with. But may we also be a place full of people who remember they are sinners, except for God's grace. And may we have many meals together. May we have many opportunities to look across a cup of coffee and say, let me ask you a question. If that was my wife. <laughs> and may with gentleness and love and patience, may we remove the stuff out of our own life so we can see clearly enough to help our brother and sister see better. That is a church I want to be a part of, the one that does both of those. Let me pray for us. Keith's going to come. We'll sing, worship some. 11.36, it was only one verse. I had four left. Maybe next time. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come before you. I know in my own life, Lord, I, um, I struggle with walking in patience and gentleness and joy and love and kindness when it comes to other sin Lord I struggle there I do not walk according to the spirit all the time you know I look at my own life it is full of failures and struggles and ways in which I do not honor you and Lord, I am thankful for the cross. I'm thankful for the blood. I'm thankful that I can walk in the righteousness of Christ. And yet I pray for my own life and this church's Lord, that we would be a church 
people who fail can find a place where there's rest in you, Lord. And, Lord, I pray that our church will always be about the seriousness of your call to holiness. Help us do both. Help us do both well. Lord, we need you. We cannot do this without you. Help us to walk according to the Spirit as a church. Please, help us, Lord. We love you. May we sing to you now. May we worship and be reminded of the good news of the gospel and what you've done in our lives and what you're doing in our brothers' and sisters' lives. It's your name we pray. Amen.